0: Good morning. So my name is Dave, and I'm the campus pastor here at uh, Good News Church, World Golf Village. And it is great to see all of you here today. In your seat backs in front of you, you'll see a Connect card. And if you're new or visiting, we'd love for you to fill that out this morning and leave it in one of the boxes in the back of the auditorium. We'd love the chance to get to know you and to know that you are here. And listen, if you've been coming for a while or if you're new, You'll notice on the Connect card that there's a box that says, I'd like to have lunch with the pastor. Did you know that there is such a thing as a free lunch? So listen, I would love to hear your story and share with you the story of good news. And so uh, love for you to mark that on your card and, and we'll, uh, we'll have lunch. The good news is for sharing. The good news is for sharing. We rejoice this week at seeing two different people put their trust in Christ And that brings this year the total of people who have led someone to faith in Christ, 17. 17 evangelists and 17 people who have put their trust in Christ this year. A great opportunity to share Christ with our friends and neighbors is our services coming up on Easter Sunday. On April 9th, we'll celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The greatest proof for Christianity is Jesus. And the greatest proof of Jesus is his resurrection. So I would love for you to think. Think about your neighborhood. Think about the lost people in your neighborhood. People that you've met, you know their name. But but you've never planted the... The Jesus flag. You've never dropped the J bomb. You, you you haven't invited them to church yet. What a great opportunity. Think about think about where you go to school. Think about your business. Who are the people that come to mind that you think if I could just get them to Jesus, I know that He could change anyone. The man who led me to faith in Christ prayed for me for 30 days that that God would bring somebody into Dave's life who could share the gospel with me, and he was willing to be the answer to his own prayer. Who would you want to pray for and invite and bring on April 9th? There's invitations out in the lobby to help you with that, and And we're looking forward to a great celebration of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead on Easter Sunday. As we move closer to that, let's let's spend some time in prayer for for all of us as we uh, come to God's word this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, you are worthy. You are holy. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You've proven it by rising from the dead. And you've ascended to your throne in heaven. And for many of us this morning, you've already moved in to the center of our lives. And you reign and rule on the throne of our hearts. And, and we've surrendered to you to let you direct all our decisions and actions. But Lord, we live in the midst of a city, we live in neighborhoods, we go to schools, we, we have businesses that are full of people who don't yet know you, and just how amazing you are. So Lord, I pray that you would be at work by your Holy Spirit. And that In obedience to you, because we're so in love with you, Jesus, that we would be willing to plant the J flag, to drop the J bomb, and, and to invite our friends and neighbors and family members to join us on Easter Sunday. And Lord, we know that, that for some of us, that is a huge step of faith. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us. And that, Lord, as we gather together, some would hear the gospel, and they would say, Jesus, you're amazing. And others of us who know the gospel would see our lost friends here, and we would have reason to rejoice and believe the gospel and say, Jesus, you're so amazing. Lord, help us as we open your word now. We need the help of your Holy Spirit. Help the one who teaches and all who hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage that we're going to look at this morning in our teaching comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 6 through 10. And I'd encourage you to bring your Bibles each week and follow along with me in the teaching. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, please follow on the screen. But let's pay attention to the reading of God's word. It's inspired, inerrant, infallible. It's sufficient. It's our only rule for faith. And practice. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. On January 24th, 1848, a man named James Marshall discovered gold. In California he discovered gold in California and over the next two years more than 300,000 people moved to the state of California in search of gold they were called the 49ers because the greatest movement happened during the next year 1849 what were they after they were after gold But they were after so much more. They were looking for life. They were looking for hope. What if I told you that there was soul gold? What if I told you that there was something that if you found it, if you had it in your life, it would be like soul gold it would give you life it would give you hope would you go looking for it would you seek after it would we be as a people would we be like the psalmist in psalm 63 verse 1 look at this verse with me oh god you are my god I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Oh, dear people, there's soul gold. And I want you to know. I want you to know what it is. I want you to know what does it offer. I want you to know how do we get it? What is it? What is it? What does it offer? And how do we get it? That's what we're going to learn this morning. So what is it? You ready for this? One word, godliness. I don't know, I just lost you. Godliness? 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 I don't know what just popped into your mind when you heard the word godliness. Was it Dana Carvey? The church lady? Is that what popped into your head when you hear the word godliness? It pops into my head. I don't know why. Godliness. Godliness is one of Paul's favorite words. He uses it. It's used in the New Testament over, uh, not over, it's used 15 times, exactly. 15 times. Paul uses it 11 times. Nine times in the book of 1 Timothy alone. Once in 2 Timothy and once in Titus. And then the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Peter uses the word godliness four times, all in the book of 2 Peter. So what is it? Godliness is soul gold. Godliness is defined by uh, Jerry Bridges in his book, The Practice of Godliness, as devotion to God, which results in a life that is pleasing to him. Devotion to God, which results in a life that is pleasing to him. He goes on and he says this, Godliness Consists of two distinct but complementary traits and the person who wants to train himself to be godly must pursue both with equal vigor the first trait is God-centeredness which we call devotion to God and the second is God-likeness which we call Christian character so what is this soul goal that, that if we had it could give us life and hope. It's godliness. Godliness literally means good devotion. Good devotion. Devotion to God as our highest good. Devotion to God as as our greatest joy. Devotion to God. And what proceeds from a heart that's been changed by this devotion to God is that Christ-like character begins to develop in the heart. Now, all of this happens inside of us first, not on the outside. You see, what the church lady missed was the church lady was trying to develop godliness on the outside. You know, Dana said in an interview once that he based the church lady on a real person. How'd you like to be that Sunday school teacher? A real person. You know what she would do? She would take attendance on Sunday morning. It was all about outward behavior, being in the right place at the right time. But godliness, true godliness, doesn't come from the outside. True godliness starts on the inside. Something has to happen within us. And true godliness because it starts on the inside, is like a brand new operating system in the the heart. It's like rebooting a brand new operating system in our heart. And what happens within us then is demonstrated visibly through our life. Something's happening inside of us. And godliness stands out. Look at verse 6. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Now we're so used to the language of the New Testament that we pass over something that Paul says in this passage that would have been radical in his day. He says that Timothy is a good servant. Godliness is something that has to happen on the inside. Because if it was just outward performance, Paul would never say to Timothy, you're a good servant. You see, godliness is completely different than the way the world thinks. Because the way the world thinks is that life, security, joy, happiness... Hope isn't by descending to serve. The world thinks that what true life, true happiness, true success, true notoriety is ascending to greatness. And the gospel says godliness is something completely different. Paul says godliness is becoming a servant of all. Godliness is a completely new operating system. It cannot be explained by human personality. It cannot be understood by the world's way of thinking and defining success. It's completely new. It makes it possible for Timothy to be at his highest point of success when he's at his lowest point of service. Now the next verse, the next verse... Paul says this bit about old women. I I don't know. Here's what I think. I think that in Ephesus, there were so many stories that were being circulated, so many myths, so many controversial things, and, and they were constantly being talked about. But Paul says, what's common, what you'll hear about on social media, what you'll read about in the paper, what you'll hear talked about in the cafes and coffee shops of your city, what is common to the world doesn't fit with true godliness. So what is it? It's a completely new way of seeing yourself, of seeing God, of seeing others. It's a completely new way. Born in the heart and describes a devotion to God which works itself out in godliness, and Christ-like character. Now the Apple and Windows will sell you their operating system based on a few things. They'll say, oh, it's so efficient. It's so powerful, it'll change your life. And if it's Apple, they'll add, this will make you really cool. But God doesn't make any of those promises because godliness may not be more efficient and it may not be more profitable and it may not make you cool but it's soul gold it's soul gold so what is it? it's devotion to God it's good devotion now what does godliness offer? if it doesn't offer coolness what does it offer? well I want you to think for a moment, think about the most lucrative investment you've ever made. Think about the thing that you invested your money in that had the greatest return ever. What is it? Is it a home? Is it crypto? Probably not. Is it a stock? I mean, did you get in on Amazon at the beginning? Any of you? If if so, I'd really like to give you a free lunch. What is it? What's that thing that that you invested in that gave you the greatest return on investment? Let me ask you this question. The moment after you leave this earth, what good will that investment be to your soul? You see, there's time and there's eternity. And we invest in so many things that only have a return on investment in time. Worldly success, praise of men, returns on our investments. But there's something that God says is profitable for this life and for the life to come. There's something called godliness, and the return on investment from godliness goes throughout this life, and it keeps going on into eternity, and this is so important. You are forever. You are forever. You're either an everlasting splendor or you're in everlasting horror. You're either someone who's becoming more and more beautiful and who will resound to the praise of God's glory forever, or you're someone who's turning more and more inward and more and more ugly. The moment after you die, if we could see you, you will either be something so beautiful that we would be tempted to worship you, or you will become something so grotesque that we would shrink in horror. But, make no mistake, you are forever. And so godliness is something that if we pursue it, if we invest in it, we will get a good return on our investment because godliness is good, according to Paul, In verse 8, godliness is good not only for this present life, but also for the life to come. You see that in verse 8? So now we're ready to learn our point for today. And the point is this godliness is profitable for all things. Godliness is profitable for all things. In fact, let's say this point together. Godliness is profitable for all things. You didn't sound convinced. Let's say it again. Godliness is profitable for all things. And it's there, right, in the text where Paul says it. So that's what we've learned. What is it? What is this soul gold? It's Godliness. What is godliness? It's devotion to God that results in a life that's transformed more and more to be like Christ. Why do we need it? We want it because it's profitable for this life and the life to come, and we're all forever. Now, how do we get it? How do we get it? Now, if I told you that somewhere in this room, there was an envelope with a $100 bill inside, how much time would you spend looking for it? Maybe you're super analytical and you say, well, I make $20 an hour, so if that's a $100 bill, I'll spend five hours looking for it, but not a minute more. What if I told you, what if I told told you that somewhere in this room, there's an envelope and it has a scratch off ticket that could be worth thousands How much time would you spend looking for that? Are you more attracted are you more attracted to the $100 bill and its certainty or are you more ap- attracted to the <laughs> to the rush of the scratch-off ticket? Which one is more appealing to you? Godliness gives you both godliness gives you the certainty of god's promise that it's profitable for this life and the life to come and godliness gives you the rush it gives you the thrill what's the thrill it's glorifying god it's worshiping him it's getting to know jesus it's pursuing a treasure christ jesus See, godliness is valuable not only because it gives us something we can count on. Godliness gives us hope. Godliness gives us joy. Godliness gives us the thing that we long for. It's not boring. See, a lot of us think that, that God is some sort of cosmic killjoy. He's out there looking for godly people to wreck their life, make them boring. And we need to prove to people that that's not true, that Jesus is the joy giver. That he said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. That the godly life is the abundant life. The godly life is a treasure. The godly life is worth selling everything for and going after it to pursue it. It's profitable for life and for eternity. Now, how do we get it? How do we get it? Now we're going to turn to our action step. We've learned our point. Now what's our action step? Our action step is this. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now let's say, let's say that that you go to the doctor this week. And the doctor says... Oh, I notice you've put on a few more pounds. And then he runs some blood work and he says, you know, I notice that it's not just those pounds, that there's stuff happening in your blood, your cholesterol's up. And, and I noticed when we took your blood pressure, your blood pressure's getting a little high. He says, you know, really what you need to do is you need to lose a few pounds. And And maybe if you changed your diet and you lost a few pounds, your cholesterol would go down, your blood pressure would be healthier, and and you'd feel better. Now, would that be enough of a push? For some of you, that would be enough of a push. For some of you, that would be enough. Now, imagine that you're on your phone and, and you're scrolling through your social media, And you happen to find on your phone a picture of yourself from, I don't know, 10 years ago. And you're like me. And maybe the last 10 years have been really friendly. You see that picture of yourself from 10 years ago and you go, wow, I looked good. I was so fit. I was so trim. I really need to get back in shape. See, for some of you, the diagnosis from the doctor is enough to give you that push. And for others of us, we need the inspiration. We need to see the picture. Now, for you and for me, we get both in Jesus. Because Jesus is the one person who's the great physician who can diagnose our problem and give us the right medicine. And... Jesus Christ is the one godly man who can show us what true godliness actually looks like. So when we come to Jesus, we get both the good news that he offers us a solution to our ungodliness and we get the inspiration and the power we need to pursue a godly life. In verse 9, Paul tells us the first step, the first step is this, believing. Believing God's word, that it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. You see, before we'll ever take a step in godliness, we have to be convinced By God's Holy Spirit, that God's word is true. The first step of obedience in godliness is believing that God's word is true and that his spirit is powerful enough to help us. That God's word is true when it says that godliness is profitable for all things. Step one, God, I agree with you that this is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. I believe your word. I'm going to place myself under the authority of your word, and I'm going to let it be the rule for my faith and my practice. So that's step one. Believing that God is right and true when he tells us that godliness is profitable. The second step in disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness is the gospel. Verse 10. For it is this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. If Jesus Christ is only an inspirational example for you, then you will not pursue godliness. Godliness will crush you But if Jesus is a Savior, a good Savior, who's done everything necessary to make you beautiful to God and to others, if Jesus is a good Savior, and he has moved into the center of your life with the good news of the gospel, now you're set free. You're set free from the power of sin to pursue a life of godliness. Now let me show you that from 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Remember I told you that Paul used the word godliness 11 times and Peter used the word godliness 4 times? Well in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says this. For this reason, I'm starting in verse 5. For this reason, also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now, As I read through that description of Peter, faith, moral excellence, moral excellence, godliness, when I read through those, how do you think you're gonna get there? How are you going to get there? Peter gives the answer. See, we're prone, we're prone to boot up the operating system of the flesh. We're prone to boot up the operating system of try harder. See, a lot of you this morning, you've heard me talk about godliness and you've heard me say, I haven't said this, but you've heard me say, pastor told me to be godly. I'm going to go out there this week and I'm going to be godly. I'm going to try hard to be godly. That is not how you're going to get there. You know how you're going to get there? Verse 9. The gospel. Peter says the one thing you need in order to make progress in godliness and in every other virtue of the Christian life, what you need is to remember the gospel. He who lacks these qualities. Is godliness included in these qualities? Yes. Yes is blind or short-sighted, just like me. Blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. What is it that we must have in order to pursue godliness? We must have the gospel. We must have Jesus as Savior. Paul says it in 1 Timothy 4, verse 10. Peter says it in 2 Peter 1, verse 9, that it's Jesus as Savior that enables us to make progress in godliness. How? We all have a problem called sin. And our sin is more than just doing bad things. We do do bad things, but the reason we do bad things is because there's something broken inside of us. We sin because we're sinners. We live in the midst of a culture that is becoming increasingly ungodly, and it has a tendency to rub off on us because it's just so easy for us to be drawn into it. Augustine, the great teacher that our city is named after, Augustine said nothing whatever pertaining to godliness and real holiness can be accomplished without grace. So what is grace? What we deserve for our sin is death. The Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. But the gospel tells us That Jesus Christ, after living a perfect life of godliness, a perfect life of obedience to his father, went to the cross and died. Now the wages of sin is death, but Jesus had never sinned. So why did he die? He died because God took my sin and your sin and he put it on Jesus and he punished him in our place. And until you see the godly one becoming your substitute and paying the penalty that your ungodliness deserves, you'll never become a godly person. But if you see the one who is truly godly becoming the bearer of your sin and providing for you through his self-sacrifice a way of purification from sin, See, Jesus isn't a coach. Jesus is a savior. He's not a moral exemplar. He's a savior. He's a redeemer. He does it all. He purifies you from all your past sin, all your ungodliness, and he offers you forgiveness and eternal life. And when you know that your good savior, Jesus, has provided purification for your sin, when you know that the pressure's off, now, now you'll be able, with a heart full of devotion, with a heart full of love for Jesus, you'll be able to say, God, make me godly. Because you've done everything for me to make me beautiful to God. Because you've done everything to make me pleasing to God. Now, work in my life, work in my heart to make me become more and more like you. It's the gospel. Have you ever believed the gospel? yourself have have you ever said to to Jesus Jesus I admit that I'm not a godly person but I want to be Jesus I believe that you paid the penalty for my sin and you rose from the dead come into my life as savior and lord and help me become the person you want me to be you ever said that to Jesus you can right where you're sitting this morning or Come up after the service. I'd be glad to assist you and, and I'll give you a chance as I close in prayer in just a few moments. But Listen, if you have, then you now know the secret to godliness. Now imagine, imagine that I go play golf and it's a typical golf day for me. All day, I hit the ball the ball never quite does exactly what I want it to do. You know, for the first nine, it kind of goes to the left when I want it to go to the right. And then in the second nine, it goes to the, to, the, to the right when I want it to go to the left. So it's a, a typical day, the golf course. That's why golf is a four-letter word. But let's say as I'm driving home from the golf course, Let's say as I'm driving home from the golf course, I'm thinking about my day, and I'm thinking about my golf swing. And as I'm thinking about my golf swing, it, it occurs to me, oh, I know what I was doing. I, I was just I was holding the club just a little bit wrong. And my stance, it was, it was just a little too open. I need to close my stance just a little bit, and I need to get a hold of the club just a, a little bit differently. And it occurs to me, wow, that's it. I can't wait to go back. I can't wait to go back. and Oh man, I remember on that 16th hole, I remember how I was holding the club just right and my stance was just right and I hit that ball and woo, it was amazing. I figured it out. This week, I was having breakfast with a friend and he said, Dave, I was reading in Luke this week. I was reading in Luke this week and, and I saw Jesus in Luke. And in Luke chapter 4, it says that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says says in Luke 4, Jesus is led by the Spirit. And he said, I I remembered that you tell us all the time that, that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we can be led by the Holy Spirit. And he said, I saw in Luke chapter 3 that when Jesus was baptized, he was praying And I thought you told us last week that that we could could have the word and prayer. He remembered his grip. He remembered his stance. He was reminded as he read through the word of of those promises that Jesus makes. See, Jesus goes first. He's filled with the Spirit. He's led with the Spirit. He lives a life of dependence on the Father and prayer. And once we see Jesus doing it for us, Oh, we can't wait. We can't wait to to get back. Take a step of obedience. To take a step towards godliness. What's the first step? The first step is tomorrow morning, get up and read verse 9. This is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. First, ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, convince my heart that your word is true. Convince me that your word is true. And then, go to verse 10. Go to verse 10, and in verse 10, see what a great Savior you have. See Jesus saving you from all your sin. Remember 2 Peter 1, verse 9, that Jesus has made purification for your sin. So, ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, convince my heart it's true. Holy Spirit, convince me that Jesus is Savior. Then, Holy Spirit, come into my life. Show me in my life where my heart is. Its stance is just a little bit off. Show me, Holy Spirit, where my grip is just a little bit off. And then, Holy Spirit, fill me. Give me the desire and the power that I need to live as a follower of Christ should. And, oh, Holy Spirit, form Jesus in me. Make me a godly person. If you'll do that this week, God promises you will have a good return on your investment because godliness is profitable for this life and for the life to come so go after it it's soul gold but go after it only with the grace and love of the gospel reigning in your heart let's pray Jesus, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, would you convince our hearts now? Would you convince our hearts that that this really is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance? That it's true. That bodily discipline is of some value. But godliness is of great value because it promises profit both in this life and in the life to come. Holy Spirit, convince our hearts. And Lord, help us to take a step toward godliness by believing that we have a good Savior. He's the Savior of the world. Have you trusted him? If you haven't, won't you? You can say to him right now, Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you in many ways, and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Jesus, I I believe that you rose from the dead. Come into my life as Savior and Lord. And help me become the person you made me to be. And Jesus, convinced of the truth of your promise that, that godliness is profitable for this life and for the next, Lord, we surrender our lives to you for the purpose of godliness. We ask you to Fill us with supernatural power to give us the desire and the ability to live godly lives. Hearts devoted to you and lives being changed by you. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.